The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss how to break into careers in tough industries, the skills it takes to succeed in difficult circumstances, how to deal with the difficulty of constant rejection, how to build the muscle of determination, a really cool hack for switching your thinking that can make it much easier to face challenging situations and rejection, and much more with our guest, Alex Grodnick. Do you need more time, time for work, time for thinking and reading, Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. 
In our previous episode, we looked at how to live a happy, healthy, successful life from the inside out. We explored what it means to have an integrated brain, looked at lessons across vastly different scientific disciplines, and shared the accessible, simple strategy you can use in 20 minutes to integrate the most important learnings from scientific research to create an integrated brain, body, and mind to improve your health, happiness, well-being, and success with our previous guest, Dr. Dan Siegel. If you want to have a healthy, happy brain, listen to that episode. Now, for our interview with Alex. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Alex Grodnick. Alex is the COO at the fintech startup Pay Club. He holds a degree in finance from UCLA Anderson. He spent more than nine years in the investment banking industry, digital media, business development, and much more. He's the host of the Moving Up podcast by Wall Street Oasis, where he interviews business leaders to learn and share their secrets to success and life. Alex, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be speaking with you. Yeah, I think this will be a really interesting conversation and you know, definitely relevant, especially to some of our kind of younger listeners as they're sort of formulating their careers and deciding what they want to do with their lives. I'd love to kind of hear your story and your journey about how you kind of got into the investment banking world and, and how the challenges around that, you know, sort of presented themselves and how you overcame them. And then ultimately sort of what some of the lessons that came out of that would be. Yeah. I grew up on the West Coast, actually, in a small ski town, Park City, Utah. And so I didn't really know any investment bankers. That wasn't a thing that people did in Utah. But for whatever reason, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Maybe it was a prestigious job. I just, there was something inside of me. I always wanted to go work at the top level of high finance. Everyone in my family was entrepreneurs, so no one had ever worked for anybody. So my, my parents and uncles and stuff would always say, oh yeah, like, wouldn't it be so great to go work for Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan? Like they always thought that was the glamorous side of the world. And so fine for my, basically my entire childhood, I've always thought, okay, I'm going to go to a good school and then I'm going to go get one of these hard to get prestigious banking jobs. And so I left Park City. I went to school out in Pennsylvania to a small a small school, Lehigh University. They had a pretty good track record of placing people into Wall Street. And everything was going according to plan. And then as I was getting ready to graduate, it was also 2009 and the economy was melting down. So it was a little bit more difficult to get that banking job than I had originally anticipated that it would be. I mean, our career fair was the day after Bear Stearns collapsed. So it wasn't the best time to be graduating, but this has kind of been one of the through lines of my entire career and life is that you got to kind of face head on into rejection. And like that's when the interesting outcomes can, can happen. So I said, okay, this is just another hurdle that I can overcome, a challenge. So I kind of said, great, let's go see what I can do here. And I can't even remember how many resumes I sent out. I mean, multiple hundreds and phone calls. And I mean, no one was hiring. It was like they didn't even know if their firm was going to be in, in existence. So trying to get a, my first job was, was a little bit scary, but I was able to do it. I got a job at JP Morgan in their kind of asset management group. And they really beefed up the analyst program there. It was 150 people in 2009 because it turned out that that was a big piece of the of the bank's revenue in 2009. Everyone kind of wanted to go to the safest bank and, and that was JP Morgan. And so while it wasn't that investment banking job, I thought, okay, this is great. I'm working for one of the top banks. I'm in their analyst training program. I got three months of training in New York. 
and the job was originally supposed to be in New York. I said, this is great. I'll go do this and then I can transition into the investment bank or I can go get my MBA, whatever it was. And it turned out that that was pretty much the case. I did that job for about two and a half years. I actually had to move to Detroit because they didn't have a, a spot in the New York team. And so I moved to Detroit after three months of training. And then I was able to move out to Los Angeles. I followed my now wife out here who's from, from LA. So I moved here for love. But I, uh, I did, it was a three-year analyst program. I did it. And as I was finishing it up, I was still really focused on getting that hardcore investment banking job. And uh, I had my boss at JP Morgan. He helped make some calls around LA. I got a couple interviews and it just so happened that Houlihan Loki and their what's called financial restructuring group, we can get into what, what that is, but they had a need. So I stopped working at JP Morgan, moved a couple of buildings over in Century City, which is where all the finance is in LA, and, uh, and went to work for Houlihan Loki for about a year and a half that hardcore analyst training program, working 100-hour-plus weeks, getting yelled at at 3 in the morning and building pitch decks and Excel models and meeting with CEOs and working on buying and selling businesses. So really the exact skill set and experience that I had wanted for my entire life. And like I said, I did it for a year and a half. And it's funny what happened while I was doing that because that's, I mean, I think I was 23 when I got that job. So for 23 years, that was the job I wanted. I got it. And then once I had it, a really strange thing happened. I realized that I don't really like this job. I don't know if this is what I'm what I'm meant to be doing. So I was, I was pretty lost because basically everything in my life was always built up to that. Like that was who I was. And so if I wasn't going to do that job, like who was I? What, what was I supposed to be doing? And so after that, it was kind of a couple years of soul searching and business school uh, to kind of figure out what was right for me. And so now we can get into it, but I'm on this entrepreneurial path and I can talk about how I came to that. But but basically, I'm fairly certain, very, very highly certain that, that this is what's right for me. So I want to, there's a lot of themes to unpack from that, especially kind of what happens when you kind of get to the peak and realize you don't necessarily like it there. But before we get into any of that, I want to go, I want to go all the way back. I want to come back to kind of the trenches of being a senior in college, trying to figure out you know, you have this career path that you've sort of set out for yourself. And and I actually had a very similar experience because I graduated, I think, the same year as you, right in the midst of the financial crisis. And, you know, it was, t- it was really, really tough to find a job. And so when you were kind of going through that, you know, what did it take and how did you kind of deal with, you know, that uncertainty, the challenge of trying to get a job in one of the toughest industries in the world in the middle of the largest sort of financial crisis in the last 100 years? Yeah. So I didn't know this going into school or really even coming out of school, but there's what's called target schools. And if you want to work in investment banking, there's like, you know, five or 10 schools that these investment banks recruit at every single year. So if you go to one of those schools, great, you got super lucky. All you have to do is submit a resume. This, the bank comes to your school, they interview people and you can get the job. If you don't go to one of those target schools, it is an extreme uphill battle trying to just to get the interview. And then once you get the interview, it's it's pretty level set. Like you can sell yourself there and, and, and try to get the job. But they only interview from non-target schools if they don't hire someone from one of their 10 target schools. And so, like I said, I didn't know that. I had no idea how the process worked. And so I just was determined to get one of these jobs. And I think that's that naiveness, naivete, whatever it is, that's kind of required. And you look at startups, like you just don't know any better. You don't, you don't know how the world works, how things are supposed to be. And you just kind of put your head down 
and just hustle and go until until it happens for yourself. And so, like I said, hundreds and hundreds of emails and finding ways to get to people and asking people for introductions and combing through LinkedIn and, and trying to see who works where and sending them a little personalized email and saying, hey, can we grab a call for 15 minutes or someone that went to my school or someone that just any any type of warm introduction you can get. And then you go through the process. You have an email exchange. You try to get a call. Then from the call, you try to get a, an in-person meeting. And then from that in-person meeting, you try to get an interview. Or from that in-person meeting or interview, you try to get, you're always moving the ball forward. That's what it took. I had so many calls and so many interviews. And, and it's all just learning and process as you go. But I mean, the success rates are, are not high, Matt. I mean, you're going to get sub 5%, you know, if you're lucky, if you're doing everything great, 95% of the time you're going to get told no or just not even responded to. So you got to develop a pretty thick skin for it. So were you at one of those target schools or did you have to kind of create the job interview from from outside of the system? Yeah, no, Lehigh is a good school, but no, it's not a target school from the investment banking perspective. You know, this is like a bunch of the Ivy League schools, University of Pennsylvania probably being the, the best one. And then out in LA, USC and UCLA are both are both schools. But yeah, no, I was I was an outsider. So like I said, it's it's doggedness, it's hustle, it's finding a way just to not accept no for an answer. And if you have that determinedness, you're just not gonna hear no, you're not gonna accept that no, then hearing a no doesn't get you down. You know, my brother, he's an actor out, out here in LA, and I can tell you in his profession, he gets told no more than anyone I ever know. And he's had to develop a desensitivity to it. Because if you let all these no's kind of seep past your skin, you're going to start to question, well, is this what I should be doing? Am I even good at this? What if I what if I never get a yes? And that's what stops a great outcome. You know, a, a great outcome never comes from, yeah, I applied for a job, I got a yes, and now my life is, is easy. There's no easiness to life. You're going to hear hundreds and hundreds and if not thousands of no's. And the unique outcomes, the, the, the huge life-changing moments, they don't come from your first like trial and success and failure. You, you need hundreds of failures to kind of hone your pitch and hone your strategy and, and get to the right place and get to the right people. But that's just how it works. That, that, that's life, Matt. I think that's a really critical point, which is this idea that, you know, greatness or achievement or, you know, whatever the kind of big outcomes you're looking for in your life don't come from the first trial and the first failure, right? And it's usually like, it's not, it's like 10, 20, 30, 100 plus failures down the road before you really start to, to kind of crack through and start to really find those actual opportunities. Well, yeah, I mean, some people probably get lucky and, you know, their very first startup they do turns into Facebook, but that's not the case. I mean, you look at like the founders of Uber and the founders of most startups, they have several unsuccessful, several failures that took years and years of their life and hard work and probably gray hair and divorces and everything else before you get to that outsized outcome. And if it was easy to get to that outsized outcome that happened on your first or second try, then then everyone would do it. That's why the rewards are so great. Like they reward the people that are able to hear no 10,000 times and persist and persist. That's the way that the universe is set up. So how did you cultivate that persistence? How did you deal with the constant sort of rejection and the challenges of, of just trying to even get an interview, let alone, you know, then succeed in the interview and then succeed in the job, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've since kind of put a, a name and a, and a process around around what I had at the time. I, I now refer to it as rejection therapy. But during the time, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, it was just practice. It was getting reps 
like you would if you were a quarterback of a football team. They talk about, you know, you need reps with the with the offense and you need to see actual game time. And and as you get that practice, like your brain matures and you're able to see things differently and feel differently. Uh, so, yeah, in, in business school, I, I really I came to the realization of of what it was inside of me. But at the time, I just I just called it determination and that I just wasn't going to accept no for an answer. I kind of, I think my dad kind of instilled that idea in me. Like I said, he's a, been a serial entrepreneur, just failure after failure, uh, one after the next. I mean, now he's had some, some good successes, but he's, he's 60 years old. So it took however long, I mean, 40 years of working to get to that point. So that's a, that's a long time, but he always told me, you just, you just can't take no for an answer. If you hear no, that just gets you. I viewed it as every time that that just got me one step closer to a yes. And I just learned a little bit and maybe I expanded my network. And so I kept pushing forward. Now this, this process of, of rejection therapy, which I call it is, it's the same thing as, as really anything else in life. If you're afraid of something, then exposing yourself to it is going to desensitize yourself to that to that fear. I have a buddy that I actually worked in in banking with. He just took some time off to go travel the world with his fiance and they spent a lot of time in South America and they were camping and they were in the forest. And he said, "Alex, I was so afraid of spiders before I went on this trip, but now I've lived in the rainforest and I've seen spiders the size of my face that a little spider back here in LA like it, it doesn't even phase me." And I, and I thought, wow, that's, you're right. That's, that's interesting. And rejection is no different from spiders, from germs, from whatever you're afraid of. If you expose yourself to being rejected all the time, eventually, and not even after that long of time, you're just not going to care about it anymore. You're not going to be afraid of it. You're going to put yourself out there in life and just not be afraid to hear no, which is unique. Most people don't have that. I love the idea of sort of getting reps in and practicing to sort of build that that muscle of of dealing with discomfort and rejection. Yeah, that's if you look at the conversion rates, like you have a job, you're you're you work in sales and you work at a a retail store or a software company or something and you're calling people and selling people, you're going door to door selling stuff. Like you you hear these these great stories like Mark Cuban famously started off his career selling garbage bags door to door. And I mean, think about how many times the doors were closed on him. Like who's buying garbage bags from a door-to-door person? Think about something coming, someone coming to your house and trying to sell you something, some you know, orange cleaner or something, which they came to my house the other day. They probably have to be getting told no. I would, I would think at least 99 out of 100 times. And the willingness to go forward after getting the door closed on you 99 times, that instills something in you. And when you get that success, how good does that feel? How great is it? But you realize that you're able to do this. And so if you look at, you know, the conversion rates across industries and from, you know, nonprofit to financial services, whatever it is, they're all sub 10%. So these people are making 100 calls and getting 90 rejections. What is it that keeps them going? It's that they've had this these practice, these repetitions in doing it and they're not afraid of it anymore. You know, like you are at your high school dance and you're standing on the other side of the room of, you know, a girl or a guy, and you don't want to go up to them and ask them, that's just because you haven't asked 100 people. If you'd already asked 100 people to dance and 90 of them had told, have, had told you no, you would really not care about going up to that 91st person saying, hey, do you want to dance? Because you're just desensitized to the fear of it. I like that idea as well, kind of the idea that once you understand, and I mean, you know, sometimes you may not have like perfectly clear data around what it is, but once you understand the conversion rate, it, it really clarifies things. And you realize that in order to get the 10 people to say yes, 
you need to have 90 people say no. And you have to sort of churn through those. You know, your conversion rate on on really almost any activity is is very rarely going to be 100%. And yet so many people often have kind of the expectation that when they do something, if it doesn't work out, you know, the first time or the second time, or the third time, they give up or they kind of, they think, oh, I can't do that or I'm not good at that or that's not for me. Right. Back to my brother, the actor. He sends emails to people and tries to get jobs and coffee and, and whatever he can. And he says, Alex, yeah, the, the you know, Joe Schmo didn't respond to my email. And I say, okay, Jake, that you sent one email. Like you need to send two, three, four emails and then you can move on. But like just getting told no once and saying, all right, that's dead. I mean, that's crazy. You have to persist. And so getting to this rejection therapy framework, what's really cool about it is just like I, the, the school dance analogy is the first piece of it is you're going to get a huge amount of confidence. You're going to start to realize that, okay, I've, I've got to hit my numbers. I've got to go get my whatever it is, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 99 no's before I get this yes. And so as I'm going through this, probably at, at no 10, I'm just, I'm not going to care anymore. I'm just going to have this extreme amount of confidence to go through life and just start asking people for whatever I want. And so that's one of the cool byproducts of it is, is the first one is you get this great confidence to start going through life with. The second piece is this humility. And we haven't really discussed this yet, but you start to see the world in a really positive light. But this humility comes from the fact that like, think about when I was in business school, I'd be sitting in a class and I'd think of a question to ask. And then I would say, oh, well, is this a good question? Like, what are my classmates going to think about this? Should I raise my hand? Should I put myself out there? And what you realize is that no one cares about your question. It could be the dumbest question. It could be the smartest question. But everyone is so caught up in thinking about themselves and if they should be asking a question and what they should be doing, that you asking some question in class or the way your hair looks or what you're doing is no one really cares. And so once you start to go through this, yes, you get the confidence, but you get this, this sense of humbleness that like, hey, I'm not the center of the universe. I'm just someone here and no one's like judging me and caring about me the way that, that I'm caring about myself. And, and then the last piece of it is, is I kind of alluded to is you start to see the world in a positive light because as you're going through this rejection therapy process, so we can get into to how you can actually do it. But as you're looking for no's, I'm saying, hey, can I have a discount on this? Hey, can I borrow a dollar? And if you get that no, then boom, you got the rejection and, and you win for the day. But you start to get a lot of yeses. People want to help you. People go out of their way to help you. And so as you're going through saying, hey, can I have this? Can I have that? And you're expecting no, you get a lot of yeses. And so you're like, wow, the world really is a great place. People want to help you. So there's some pretty cool byproducts of, of also just wanting to get this, your numbers and hit these, these rejection therapy marks. So I want to get into some sort of practical strategies for implementing rejection therapy. But before we touch on that, you know, I think I, I wanted to just echo one of the things that you said, which is when we're following up on uh, trying to get a guest on the show, for example, and, you know, oftentimes it's somebody like a big name guest, uh, you know, Carol Dweck, for example, is one of the guests that we'd really wanted to get on the show for a long time. We followed up. I mean, we have sort of a strategy, a minimum strategy that we follow up 13 times before we'll give up on a prospect. But I think we followed up like 17 or 18 times with her before we were able to get her on the show and, you know, finding new angles, new ways, whatever it takes. And I would just echo that same thing that if you're giving up after one or two tries, you know, you're missing out on a huge, a huge array of kind of opportunities. And, you know, there's magic on the other side of, of that rejection and that discomfort once you kind of break through it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
sending 17 emails, you might be thinking, oh, am I annoying this person? Am I, is this bad what I'm doing? I can guarantee you that most of the time, the other person's not thinking about what you're doing. They're busy in their lives and they didn't respond to the first 10 emails. And when you send them that 11th or whatever it is, 12th, 13th, 18th, 17th email, they're like, oh, yeah, I, like look how persistent this person is. I, I like that. Maybe there is something interesting here. Sure, I'll send them a quick note back and we can jump on a call and kind of get this ball moving. But sometimes that's that's just what it takes. And you're right, these outcomes on the other side, nothing good happens without hard work. Like if there's something there, it's it's worth working hard for. And I have the same kind of process. I use a, an email tool and a calendar tool that, that keeps me abreast of like, I'll send an email and if I don't get a response in 10 days, I get that email back in my inbox and I can send a follow-up and I can send another follow-up and another follow-up. And you just have to keep pushing forward. You have to keep that persistence because that's like, nothing great is ever built without persistence. You know, it's funny. We had a couple weeks ago, uh, we had Jonathan Hyde on the show and he talked about the importance of being anti-fragile and, and even looking at it from kind of a biological perspective. You know, he used the example of peanut allergies in the immune system and basically said, you know, peanut allergies are on the rise because for a long time, people didn't introduce their children to peanuts at an early enough age. Right. And so it's like when you try to shelter, when you try to protect yourself you end up becoming more fragile and weaker. But when you expose yourself to things that are difficult, things that make you uncomfortable, that's how you, as, as you sort of put it, Alex, you, you get those reps in. And, you know, the, the first time, the fifth time, you know, maybe in the 10th time you, you know, play with a spider or make a sales call or whatever, it's really scary. But like the hundredth time or the 300th time you do it, it's getting pretty easy. And like the thousandth time you do it, it's boring, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's how humans are, are programmed. We're programmed to survive. And we don't like putting ourselves outside of our comfort zone because think about how many ever, a thousand years ago you'd get eaten by a dinosaur or crushed by a lion. Like those things were dangerous. Now that the outcomes are much less severe, but our brains perceive them as the exact same. We like staying inside of our comfort zone. So going to see a spider or touching a thing that has germs all over it or getting rejected, all of those things are brains tell us, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you have to evolve. You have to change your wiring to not be afraid of those things. Because if you do, like the outcomes can be so incredible. But if, if you don't and you stay in your house and you don't ask that person out on a date or you don't ask for more money at your job or you don't ask you know, to have someone on your podcast 17 times, then you're never going to. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So let's get into kind of some specific strategies for kind of practicing, you know, getting those reps in, practicing, implementing uh, rejection therapy into our lives. Yeah. So really the goal of it's very simple. It's to reduce the fear of rejection by exposing yourself to it. We've been through the benefits, the confidence, the humility, seeing the world in a really positive light. So fine. That all sounds great. How do I go do that? So I talked about the time frame for this. The time frame is you can do it for 30 days and by day five, six, something like that after the first week, it starts to just be formulaic. It's not difficult at all. It doesn't, it doesn't take a hundred reps of this. And the way you do it is you got to put yourself out there and you have to ask for things. You have to say, Hey, can I have a discount when I'm buying my sandwich at lunch? And the funny thing is when you ask for that discount, I can tell you so many times, probably half the time they're like, yeah, sure. I can, I can give you 10%. And you're like, wow, I just, Save the dollar off my sandwich. Cool. But then I still got to go find some other way to get rejected. But can I borrow a dollar? Will you take a picture with me? I've asked, you know, can I play just the first hole of, on a golf course? I like, I like golf. Can I cut you in line? I mean, I've had a story. I cut like a three-hour long line for this ice cream pop-up in, in LA just, just by, by asking. But you still got to get that, that no. You, you end up getting all, all, these, all these yeses. So basically for 30 days, every day, at least once per day, you got you to gotta hear a no. You got to be rejected. And that's the way it works. So that's the therapy. Yeah, it's such a great tactic. And the funny thing about it, I mean, I've, I've practiced rejection therapy uh, a number of times and it, it starts to get really fun and kind of exciting. It seems really scary. And then after like two or three instances or, you know, a couple days of really kind of building that muscle, uh, it starts to become really fun. And as you were talking about, you start to see the world in a completely different way where there's so much 
kind of positive optionality. There's so many exciting things that could happen. All you have to do is just find out if it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you start getting all these things too, which is which is cool. So you're getting extra patties on your hamburger to go see the kitchen at a restaurant. I, I yelled action on a film set, you know, all these cool stuff. But along the way, you're also getting those rejections and you're desensitizing yourself to the fear of it. So it's just, it's a reoccurring cycle. You're getting more and more yeses and you're gaining and building that, that confidence to just ask for, for anything. So the way it works is you start off asking for small things, a high five to borrow a dollar, whatever it is, but you build up to asking for much more meaningful things in your life, uh, promotion at work or a raise at work or for someone to go on a date with you. And by asking for a discount on your dinner every night, when the time comes to ask for a raise at work, you have confidence to go do that. And when the time comes to ask someone on a date, you know, cold at a bar, you can go right up and do it. And it's it's really cool how it works. And so the 30-day the process, you probably peaks somewhere around you know day 14, day 15, and you can just ride that wave. And then it lasts for a little bit after you finish the 30 days. Um, but but you got to keep it up because like, I don't know, now I, I go through periods of this in my life, but I haven't been actively seeking this out recently. And I'm probably afraid to go to go ask for stuff. So it, it, it's a curve. It definitely, you got to keep practicing, keep getting those, those reps. Um, otherwise, it kind of deteriorates. You know, and I think it comes back to as well what you talked about a second ago, which is this idea that you know, for many perspectives, we're sort of evolutionarily programmed to be afraid of lots of different things, right? Because if you eat the wrong berries or, you know, if whatever else from an evolutionary standpoint, thousands of years ago, there's so many risks that you constantly have to be aware of that we're very naturally kind of risk averse. But the reality is the risks today are so much lower than they were. The, the, you know, the downside of the vast majority of these things is literally just Someone says no and nothing has changed other than, you know, you weren't going to get whatever you were asking for before and they said no and now you're still not going to get it. That's like the disaster scenario and the upside is tremendous. Like there's just a massive risk reward and yet the sort of evolutionary programming in our minds can really kind of mess with us and make it challenging to kind of, you know, overcome that barrier. Right. We think that if we ask someone for a hug and they say no, that then they're then going to rip our heads off. That's that's kind of the way that our our brains work. And not only will they just say no, but literally five seconds after you ask them that, they're going to forget about it. They're not going to come back to you in six months and say, hey, remember that time that you were stupid and you, you asked me for a hug or you asked that, that dumb question in a class? Nobody remembers or you had a bad hair day. No one remembers any of these things about you because they're all focused on their lives and, and, their, and their processes and trying to get what they want out of the world. So you're totally right. The risk reward is all screwed up. We have to reprogram our brains to desensitize ourselves to the to these fears that really don't make sense in today's world. And the beauty of rejection therapy, and this comes back to Josh Waitzkin, who's one of my all-time favorite sort of thinkers and performers, you know, for listeners who aren't familiar, he's a multi-time national chess champion, chess master, and then went on to win the world championship in Tai Chi uh, push hands, which is a form of martial arts, and sort of wrote this seminal book called The Art of Learning, which sort of integrates these two things together. Just phenomenal read, probably one of my all-time favorite books. But he talks about how this sort of skill set of being comfortable with discomfort is really built in the small moments of your life, right? It's not built in like the 
really tense, high risk situations where you're asking for that promotion or you're dealing with a tough negotiation, it's built and that muscle is sort of cultivated when you're getting those reps in, in the small moments every day. And then those big moments come along and that's really when the opportunity to kind of flex that muscle really shines. Yeah, absolutely. And so like, you know, you, like I said, you start asking for small things, you move up to big things. For me, I thought this is what I, I like. I like trying to solve these hard problems, get rejected, find creative ways to go around them and, and get that. Yes, that's what feels the best for me. How can I make money off that? How can I start businesses off of that? How can I incorporate that as much as I possibly can into my life? And for me, it meant starting a podcast, starting a fintech company. Just like you said, with your podcast guests, sometimes you have to send 17 emails. I found the same thing. But when you get that yes on my podcast, I've had co-founders of Facebook and huge big-time venture capitalists come on, talk about their lives, their stories, their ups and downs, their key secrets to, to their success. But to get them, it requires so much persistence email after email after email, they don't respond. Why haven't they responded? You can't incorporate that into, oh, this person doesn't want to be on my podcast. It's this person's busy. I got to convince them. I got to find a creative way. I got to go see them. I got to go meet them. I got to bump into them. I got to go to a conference where they're speaking, get another touch point and get them on my podcast. Cause then all of those things that I've done, those creative means to get around the no culminate in a yes, culminating them coming on my podcast, lots of people listening to the podcast, me feeling good. That's the best feeling. And the same thing with my startup. We're trying to attack this huge, huge problem. And the, basically for a startup, the world's against you. You have no money. Existing companies don't want you to exist. No one believes what you're talking about doing until you actually go do it. So you have to find a way to go do it with no money while everyone is rooting against you and doesn't want you to succeed. And if you are able to accomplish those things, then yeah, you better believe there's going to be a pretty huge return outcome on the other side of it for you. But most people would give up in the face of all of that adversity. They wouldn't be able to push through and triumph. And, and that's what separates the huge outcomes from just the regular outcomes, the regular lives. Uh, if you're able to persist and just not care about getting rejected all day, every day. And I think another really important point is that it, it's not about the people who said no. You know, I mean, we've had hundreds of guests who've said no or have never responded or, you know, haven't been on the show and would have been awesome to have them. But the show exists because of all the people who said yes, not because of the people who said no. And we've been able to create something really compelling because even a few people who say yes over time really adds up to something massive in aggregate. That's the numbers. That's the reps. And yeah, it's it's so funny as I'm sitting here with my podcast sometimes when I'm speaking with someone that I've wanted to get so badly and they, you know they have so, they've had so much success in their life and I'm having this immensely interesting and thought provoking conversation with them. I'm just thinking, wow, like look what I've accomplished here. It's literally the best feeling. You feel so fulfilled when you're able to get to that point because of the hill that you've had to climb to get there. And if you didn't have to climb that hill, then it wouldn't mean anything to get those guests, to do those startups, to have those big outcomes in your life. So one of the other tools, and, and I'm curious if you've had any experience with this that I found to be really helpful around kind of finding that, you know, you know, one of the other ways that I've seen is really useful to cultivate this is to notice kind of moments in your life where you feel uncomfortable and you're sort of pulling back from something and then be able to kind of step into that and say, you know what, I'm not talking to this person or not interacting here because I'm feeling uncomfortable. 
and and kind of recognizing that and then forcing yourself to do it at that moment. And I found meditation to be a really useful tool to kind of cultivate the awareness of those moments in your life. Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, you know, that's like I, I mentioned, when I left investment banking, I was a little lost. I didn't know what my path was supposed to be in life. And I used the two years of business school to try to figure that out, figure out who I was, what I was meant to be doing in this world. And the way that I did that was I just tried stuff that I would never, ever have done before. I tried to put myself in the most uncomfortable situations and positions and new things to see who I was, what I was made of, what what I liked, what I what I didn't like. I mean, you see a lot of things that, that you don't like, but I can remember a time when I was in business school, I was on a trip to New York with some buddies and I was Uber and we were driving past Madison Square Park and there was someone there that had a sign and it, it, he was just standing in the park and he had a cardboard sign and it said free hugs. And I was looking at that and I said, I can't think of anything in the world that I would like to do less than go stand in that park with that guy and give away free hugs to strangers. And so I said, guys, hang on, I got to go do this for a minute. And I jumped out of the Uber and I gave that guy a hug and he was he was a, l- a little sh- shady looking, but finally I gave him a hug. And then I stood there with him and gave a couple strangers hugs. And I was so uncomfortable in the beginning. And then after two hugs, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is this is no big deal. And I just did something cool. I learned something about myself. And then I, you know, went and jumped back in the car with my buddies and we went about our day. But that was the approach I took to business school, was just to try to put myself in the most uncomfortable situations and really just to learn about who I was. You know, you kind of bring up something that I'd love to kind of come back and explore a little bit, which is you know, and this is a, this is a departure from from rejection therapy, but what happens when you sort of spend your whole life focused on getting to this point of becoming an investment banker, and then you realize that you know once you're on the mountaintop that that you don't like it there? It was such a strange feeling, not just for myself. I mean, I, it was what my identity was. My friends, my family, everyone just knew me as this, you know, hundred hour working investment banker, like feeling super self-important, feeling like my life was valuable and I was doing all these great things. And then I got to the point where I said, I don't like this. This isn't what I was put on earth to do. And so how do I how do I tell my parents that? How do I tell my friends that? How do I tell my girlfriend that? How do I tell myself that? And I didn't know any of those I didn't know any of those things. It, it took a few years to figure it out. And for me, the really the you could say the the light bulb moment kind of happened in business school. I was, you know, business school is a lot about meeting people and having these life-changing experiences and kind of finding yourself. But for for me, I would say the most impactful moment happened inside of a classroom. I was in this communication leadership type class one early mor- morning. And the professor had us write down on a piece of paper times when we had felt like we were being our authentic self. And he defined authentic self as feeling like you're really just firing on all cylinders, using all of your facilities, really being true to who you are. And so fine, I I took a few minutes and I'm writing down all these instances. And great, as I finished the exercise, I'm looking at these four or five things I wrote down. And every single one of them was when I was doing something entrepreneurial. I was starting, growing up, I was like the lemonade stand kid selling stuff door to door. That was me. And all the times I wrote down, I was doing one of those things. And I was like, wow, why have I been chasing these jobs that other people put a tremendous amount of value on that, you know, translated to me putting a tremendous amount of value on these prestigious jobs is kind of this prestige trap of chasing these things when really I'm most happy and feeling most fulfilled when 
I'm selling lemonade or washing someone's car or getting a guest to come on my podcast. That's what's fulfilling to me. And granted, those things don't make tons of money in the very beginning. Other people don't view them as as really you know life changing or, or that great like, like like they might working for Goldman Sachs or J P Morgan. But you got to do what's right for you and, and not what's right for other people. So that was the moment I realized, okay, we're done chasing all of these jobs that other people put a lot of value on. And I'm going to go figure out how to do this for me. I mean, I don't know how to start a business. I've never, like, I haven't really done that. That that seems scary. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go start a podcast. I'm going to go find some other buddies. We're going to start a fintech company. And yeah, for the past 18 months, I've been doing all those things. And while I haven't been making the type of money that I was while I worked in investment banking, the fulfillment that I have and the way that I'm I'm excelling at, at these jobs and at, in, in these roles, it's it's so much, it's night and day compared to my job in investment banking. And, you know, as I'm on this path, I'm learning about myself and I'm getting better. And I, someone really said something very interesting on my podcast a few weeks ago. They said, we're all going to live till we're 100 years old. I tell my wife that I'm going to live till I'm 200 years old, but fine. Say say I live till I'm 100 years old. How long are we going to be working for? What's our, what What's a career length going to be? 60 years? 70 years? That's a long time to think about a career in a one or two or three year period of, am I doing the right thing? Is this right for me? Am, am I maximizing what I'm, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? That's insane. If you look at the, the bigger picture of things, as long as you're learning every day and getting a little bit better every day and making more meaningful, authentic connections every single day, then all of those things will pay dividends for you down the line in your career. So just because I'm not making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars today, I'm setting myself up to have those big time outcomes. And along the way, I'm finding fulfillment. That's the other thing. You, you can't say, oh, I'm going to go do investment banking for five years and be miserable and then be happy once I'm, once I'm done with that. Because if you're constantly deferring happiness, it's never going to come. You're never going to have happiness. So you got to be happy along the journey. The journey is really everything. Yeah, I think that's such a great perspective. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'm sure you probably read it as well, but Four Hour Workweek obviously comes to mind as a book that kind of is really eye opening and was definitely transformational for me as well when I sort of left the 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 Wall Street world and decided to do something more entrepreneurial. Yep, absolutely. It's a great book. So for listeners who want to sort of concretely implement some of the ideas we've talked about, I think the answer is probably relatively self-evident, but what would you say, what would you give to them as kind of one piece of homework to get started with some of these ideas? Just start small. Go ask a friend for a high five or go ask someone to take a selfie with you. These things literally require nothing. You don't have to, I mean, it's the risk reward is so minimal. And just the idea, I want to leave it with the idea that you're never going to get what you don't ask for. You don't ask for a raise at work. They're not just going to give you a raise. If you don't ask someone 17 times to come on your podcast, they're not going to come on your podcast. If you're not out there taking what you want, asking for what you want, then nothing's ever going to happen for you. So start small, ask for really minuscule things that don't seem like they're meaningful at all and work your way up very quickly, I might add, it, it goes fast, to asking for meaningful things and, and, and having a fulfilled life and getting what you want out of it. And for listeners who want to learn more, who want to be able to sort of find you and and your work online, uh, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so I've got the podcast. It's called Moving Up. We have similar conversations, just like to what we're having now. I kind of go into business leaders, a lot of investors and founders and CEOs about their journeys, how they got to where they are, what set them apart. 
And so you can find the podcast. You can find me, Alex, at wallstreetoasis.com. That's where the podcast lives. And yeah, I would love if anyone would email me and tell me they tried rejection therapy and how it worked for them. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this knowledge. You know, rejection therapy is such a powerful framework for overcoming discomfort and achieving the goals that you want. So thank you for sharing with the audience. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun speaking with you. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.